Merry Christmas. Today we begin not uh, with Matthew 1 where we will spend most of our time, but we're going to be in Matthew 22 if you want to go ahead and turn to that. It's, uh, we'll get to the Christmas story here in just a few minutes, but let's begin with a tense uh, exchange uh, it was really at the height of Jesus' ministry. Uh, remember last week when we talked about thousands of people following Jesus? They would follow him around. I mean, literally thousands, maybe as many, five, ten thousand people at a time. His, his followers, the disciples, but all these people wanted to see him do miracles and they hung on his every word as he would preach and he would go from town to town. So this is an awkward time um, you remember last week when we talked about Bartimaeus, the blind man who, the blind man who had this uh, experience with Jesus. He heard Jesus coming by and he knew who Jesus was. He had already placed in his faith in him as the Messiah, the long-promised son of David. You remember when he cries out, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he does. Jesus heals his blindness, but heals his spiritual blindness as well. So this is kind of the same picture here. Uh, he's healing people, but then it gets real tense because there's teachers of the law who are thinking this guy might be the one. And some of them are threatened because of their power. And let's just be honest, money. They're worried that this might be the guy or they're checking out that he might be a false messiah because there are plenty of anti-Christ, if you will. And so their job is to protect the church and to do that, they have to show up and listen to these guys preach. And so as they do that, they have tried to trap Jesus in a couple of different ways. They're trying to trap him with what he's saying. And so they ask a couple of difficult questions. Well, Jesus gives the perfect answer and just silences them. And they're kind of embarrassed, but it's kind of that weird thing. You know, all these people are watching. These are the leaders of the church, and Jesus is there. So they are watching Jesus closely. Jesus, though, he turns the table. And he says, hey, I want to ask you a question now. So he says this. He says in Matthew 22 and 40, verse 42, Jesus says, what do you think about the Messiah? Remember, Messiah is long-promised one. He says, whose son, whose son is he? They replied, David's. And the answer is King David. That's the shorthand, King David. Now remember, when Jesus asks a question, he's not looking for answers. <laughs> he's God. He knows everything. Why would he ask a question? Well, that'd be for them, be for you. So what is Jesus asking? He's teaching with a question. He wants us to understand something deeper here. So what's the answer? David, right? The Messiah will be the son of David. We hit that last week when teachers of the law uh, heard this, they answer, they're saying David is not the literal father, but the Messiah would come from the lineage, the line of David. Make sense? And so that was shorthand of saying son of David is like saying Messiah or someone in the line of David there. Now the answer to Jesus' question is easy for these teachers of the law. But then Jesus throws them a curveball. He wants them to learn something here. 
Look at verse 43. He says, he asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, he's talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord? How is it that David calls the Son of David Lord? Do you see what he's saying? Jesus is referring to the Old Testament passage written by King David in the book of Psalms, and they believe, like we do, that the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, although they are written by human authors, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as they write, they are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now check this out. Some of them didn't even realize it. But that's, we, we believe that that's the case. And these teachers of the law believe that too. So Jesus quotes them a song out of the Old Testament. Now, if you're new to the whole Bible thing, there's a whole book of songs in the Old Testament. We have it, and they're called Psalms with a P, right? Here it is. He's quoting it in Matthew 22, verse 44. The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now remember, who's saying this? David, King David, is saying this, and it's saying, the Lord declared to my Lord. Now this is interesting, because the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Watch this. Jesus is about to point out something that we learned last week that these teachers did not get yet. And you already get this. Namely, that the Messiah would be both the son of David, a physical descendant there, and the Messiah would be physically, physically God himself come to earth. Now, these two natures, you remember? Two natures that Jesus has. Jesus asked the teachers of the law this question then. Verse 45, he says, If David... King David calls him the Messiah, Lord. How then can he be his son? No one was able to answer him at all. I love this. Because these guys don't ever shut up, right? And they're stumped. They're like, uh. No one is able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared question him anymore. Because they were embarrassed by the answer. But Jesus is pointing out something big. Jesus has asked this question that the only explanation to the question is that King David is calling him the future Messiah. When he wrote this, he's calling him Lord. Or to translate it more literally, the first time David says Lord, he uses the word Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. Remember, Hebrew doesn't have any uh, vowels in it, but it's pronounced Yahweh. So the first time it's translated, the first time he says, Lord, it's Yahweh, but the second time is Lord is translated from the word Adonai, meaning human king in this case. The teachers of the law are speechless. They've never seen this before. Well, of course, Jesus knows the word because he is the word. They don't know what to say, though, to Jesus. Jesus is showing them in the Old Testament a verse of the Psalms that these teachers of the law would ring, uh, read and sing every day. They would have read this and sung it regularly that the Messiah would be fully human and yet fully God. So why start 
out here. 22 chapters away when Jesus is adult as we look at the birth of Christ to show you this, that Jesus himself claims to be the God-man. Jesus himself claims to be the God-man. This is important to understand. You understand when I say the God-man, he's fully God and yet fully man. He's fully human. We let scripture interpret scripture. In other words, the Holy Spirit today is going to reveal some deeper truth to you and I as we look at the birth of Christ. Jesus, uh, as we look at these uh, scriptures of how Jesus is born, these lenses of scripture, we are looking at this of who Jesus himself claims to be. Let's pray. And let's go deep into God's word so that we can grow deep. Amen? Amen. So that we can grow into maturity, full functioning followers of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are a great God. You are worthy to be praised. God, as we celebrate the advent in just a few more days, God of your birth, we also pray and await anxiously the second advent of your return to take us home. Father God, um, you love us and you've demonstrated that love for us in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, to come to the earth, to live a life that we could not live. God, you gave that baby boy to a sin-filled, sin-fallen world to be born fully man and yet fully God. God, we recognize that we live in the in-between. We wait. We watch for that second coming. And God, as we wait, we ask that you help us to study the scriptures, to see who you are and who we are in you so that we can follow you, Jesus, in faith. It is in the great name of Jesus, the long-promised Messiah who has come. We all prayed and said, amen, amen. Well, let's go back to Matthew 1. So flip back to Matthew 1. That's the, uh, the first book in the New Testament or also called the New Covenant. We studied this last week. Matthew started the book with claiming that Jesus uh, was the Messiah and he called him, Matthew called him the son of Abraham. In other words, the lineage of Abraham and the son of David, the lineage of King David. We saw this lineage of Jesus' family tree listed right down to Joseph. And then it says, Joseph's not the father. And everybody goes, well, why put it out there? We're going to see that today. And we ended that part that Jesus was born physically of Mary who the book of Luke, just a, a few pages away, tell us is also a descendant of King David. And yet it takes it all the way back to Adam. But that Joseph was not the father physically of Jesus. This is the birth of Jesus. But what you're going to see, it's also the story of obedience with Joseph. I want us to kind of zero in on this. Look at verse 18. We left off at 17 last week. Verse 18, or at least the first half. The birth of Jesus, Christ, came about this way. After his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph. Hang on right there. What a big comma this is. 
We talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again. The Jewish process of becoming a husband and wife is very different than what we have today or even other civilizations at the time. It's a very different picture. You can think in like a small village, although this happened in cities too, in small villages many times when there was a little boy, uh, maybe five, ten years old, and they would say, now, if your family has a girl, why don't we... Go ahead and betroth these two. Kind of an unofficial, official betrothal. Does that make sense? And sometimes that was even before they were born. And you would put this together. These kids would grow up knowing from a very young age, that's going to be my spouse. But when the two uh, kids grew up and got to marriageable age, marriageable age, that was usually the girl was the younger of the two. The boy was usually older. Check this out, five to 10 years older. Now we can take our sensibility and say, oh no, that's awful. Actually, it was probably a pretty good deal because he was the one that earned the living, took care of her. The girl was usually about 14 to 16 years old, able to have children now, the betrothal, the official one, would work like this. The couple, when that time came, would go through a betrothal ceremony. And it was official, both religiously in God's eyes, but also that's what worked legally. And so these would be betrothed. Now, here's the thing you need to see. And we won't go there, but you can see all of this at work. in Jesus' love for the church and the picture of the church being the bride of Christ is the betrothal would become official. Not just like when they were kids. It was a legally binding thing. To get out of marriage at this point, you had to get a divorce. It had to be signed, sealed, delivered to get a divorce. But this is interesting because they would not sleep together. They would not consecrate the marriage. But what would happen is the groom would go away, sometimes for as much as a year. And they would go away and they would build on to their father's house a room that they would live in. You get the picture, right? We're not going to go there, but this picture is when Jesus uh, is, uh, I'm sorry, the birth of Jesus is Joseph is going away. They have been betrothed. Now, this is interesting. This is different than what we have. And you go, why is this different? Women were held at a much higher level than any other society around them. You know that the picture in others uh, would be this thing of a dowry, where women used to, uh, the women's family would say, here's money, like here's a cow, here's a donkey, and here's some money, here's some assets, and they would give that to the groom. But in Israel, for Jews, it was opposite. It was called a mohair. A mohair where the groom would raise this amount of money and would come and give it to the bride. So that it would happen right during this early time. Are you with me? It was the reverse of a dowry. From that ceremony on, the couple would be known as husband and wife. In fact, that divorce arrangement, uh, or it would take divorce to get out of that arrangement. But like I said, they would not consummate their marriage. But before that could happen, um, 
before they would get married, you would see the groom would come back. Now, we're not going to have time to go there much, but this is what I want you to see, is you didn't know what night he was coming back. And so the bride would wait up every night and wait, is the groom coming tonight? And she would have the girls, her friends, they would wait up. They would have candlesticks or they would have torches that they would wait up. And it was kind of just this, is he coming tonight? Is he coming tonight? This is where Mary and Joseph are. They had the marriage, they had not had the marriage feast yet. They had not consummated their marriage. And watch this, the second half of verse 18. It was discovered before they came together, talking about sexually, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. This is bad news if you're Joseph, right? Really bad news. Why? Because he knew the baby was not his. He knew that. It's something you remember, right? It's just something you remember. Now, we know that from the book of Luke, Mary was about four months long, but she's been with her cousin, Elizabeth, during that time. When she returns, she's about four months along. Ladies, you're showing about four months along, right? And you go, how much is that? Well, it's just about like that, right? <laughs> four months along. You can't ever unsee that. What an incredibly difficult time this must have been for Mary. Can you imagine? She had to carry this on her little shoulders. That she carried the Savior. And although she had Elizabeth, when she comes back home, Joseph finds out at the same time all the other village finds out. Talk about shame. Now I want you to see something that most people jump over, but this is so significant. It cannot be overstated. It cannot be overstated. Write this down. Mary was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now don't let that just kind of wash over you and you go, oh, Holy Spirit. Now I want you to understand this. It's not to say that God had a physical relationship with her, but that by the Spirit, the physical human egg in Mary is fertilized by the Holy Spirit. There are so many reasons this is significant, but like right off the bat, I want you to understand this. The birth of Christ is carried out by a work of all three members of the Trinity. How is that? The Father wills the birth. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? God the Father. The Holy Spirit fertilized the physical egg in Mary's body. Jesus, the Son of God, becomes a human, that fertilized egg that is placed in the wall of the uterus of Mary. Are you with me? All three. Now, golly, I want to go back here. We studied Genesis early. Do you see the picture of Genesis 1-1 here? The work of the Holy Spirit, God will, God the Father wills creation. Jesus is described, we saw last week in John 1, 1, as the one, the agent of creation. Everything was created through Him. And then think about this in Genesis 1, 1. The Holy Spirit hovered above the surface of the water. You see, God always works in that Trinity relationship. 
Now, what's interesting is that there are other religions that claim something like this, that a god, think little g god, uh, finds a beautiful virgin on the earth and has sexual relations with her. She becomes pregnant and, and they have a God-man, if you will, son or daughter. That's what the whole Greek mythology, the whole Greek pantheon is based on that kind of deal. And they'll say, see, it's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. Because even the demigods will say they're half human and half God. That's not what scripture is claiming. It's why it's important to show that's not what scripture is saying. The Holy Spirit comes upon this girl. It's supernatural. No sexual relationship. Not to make too much of this, but I want you to see something important. Let me say, say something very carefully. You're going to have to follow along here. I don't want to be too graphic, but I, I want you to get this thing. Is The virgin birth is better described as the virgin conception. Some of you might be thinking the point of the virgin birth is, well, sex would have made... Uh, transported the sin and so uh, no sex that's that's good right that's not what it's really talking about here because you think sex is this sinful thing actually sex is a beautiful thing for a man and a woman like you go we need more married people having sex we like babies that's not the simple part but here's what I want you to see the point is that is that if Jesus would be fully God, and yet fully man, he would have to have an earthly parent. Who is that? Mary. And a God parent who is the Holy Spirit, God. I want you to get this. This virgin conception proves Jesus is fully God. Listen to me. Only God could impregnate Mary without the use of physical sex. Now, you might just think Mary was saying this to cover her own shame. And you'd be like everyone else in her life. No one else believed her either, except Joseph in her village there, right? Her betrothed husband, he didn't believe at first. Look at this, verse 19. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, Joseph was a good guy by all accounts. When it says he's a righteous man, it does not mean he's sinless, though, but that he had faith in God, and he believed according uh, to the laws. In other words, he lived the laws and he made sacrifices just like that you were supposed to make when he did sin. Joseph, like the teachers of the law we talked about last week, and blind Bartimaeus was watching and waiting for the Messiah. He's just a blue-collar dude who loves God and is waiting for the anointed one. Now, Joseph could have had Mary stoned to death for what appeared to be an adulterous sin. He knew the baby was not his. Or he could just let it go. Now remember, he's already paid the mohair, the bride price. Here's the catch. If he wanted to, he could demand the bride price back. She would be stoned. Or... He could say, 
no big deal. You keep the money. It's no small sum for a poor working class guy. If Joseph let her go, he would lose the money. Guys, can we just appreciate the anger? Uh, ladies, I know you get angry too, but guys, can we just appreciate the anger here that Joseph must have felt? I mean, the, the visceral anger of going, how could this girl, all her life, I have watched her grow. I have kept myself pure. And then this. But Joseph does not sin in his anger. He's going to just walk away. But then something happens. Look at verse 20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, that's why angels sound, <laughs> Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is the same message Mary had received from the same angel that we know is Gabriel. And this must have been some kind of dream, right? Joseph, don't worry. What do you mean, don't worry? <laughs> my life, the way I wanted it, my dreams have come crashing down. I cannot live the way I wanted to live. And you're telling me not to worry. Don't be afraid. Joseph had gone to sleep thinking my life, my plans are over. And now this dream. The angel continues, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Someone say amen. amen. Now, you need to see why the name Jesus is so important. Remember, his name is Jesus. His title is Christ, which means anointed one of God, right? But his name has just as much meaning. Now, check this out. The name of Jesus means Yahweh saves. Now put the vowels in for you so you know how to say it there. Yahweh saves. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the name Yeshua. Or if you want to put it, the Hebrew into English and don't go through Greek, Joshua. It was a very common name. Are you with me? You hear the, how the similar sound Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus would be called Yeshua. The angel is explaining that Jesus' name reveals his purpose. Jesus is going to rescue sinners from the punishment they deserve. This is good news. Why? Because you be sinners. Me too. Me too. He didn't come to save the righteous. He didn't come to save the sinless. He came to save the screwed up. The salvation would be experienced by his people, notice. It says, identified as those who follow Jesus. Notice the phrase the angel says, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the end of the dream. It must have been a pretty powerful dream because what we're going to see is Joseph uh, is going to do this thing in just a moment. But look at verse 22 and notice that the narrator, Matthew, chimes back in here. Matthew wants you to know something. Look at verse 22. Matthew says, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet." 
See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew is pointing out that this birth has been long prophesied, long prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. So he quotes him. This had been prophesied 750 years before by the prophet. This is powerful stuff. Oh, please don't miss the depth of what we're talking about. The implications of this are so deep. Emmanuel means God with us. If you don't get anything else, please grab tight onto this. This all-powerful God through the second person of the Trinity, humbles himself and takes on the form of man to become the God-man. Every other religion, listen to me, every other religion says, what must I do to be good enough to get to God? It's like God on top of a mountain and you say, hey God, what do we need to do? And every other religion says, well, do this, do this, do this, and maybe, just maybe, you might be good enough. But that's not what happens with our God. The gospel says the story of God in the New Testament, a completely different thing, a God who knew we, listen to me, we would never be good enough that we could not be good enough, that we were dead in our sins. And so God himself says, no, 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 I'll come down. I will become a man and save them and lead them back up the mountain. Do you see the difference? He came to us. He came. The Apostle Paul tells us that if we can take on this same attitude that Jesus had toward life, he says, if you can live your life this way, you can follow Jesus and love people the way he loved them. Look at this in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, adopt this same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. You see, you see what he's saying? He's saying, use this as the operating system of your everyday life. What is it? Who existed in the form of God, talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Now, you, you with me? Because he's in heaven. He is fully God. He's created the world, right? Everything that was created was created through him. That's John, what John says. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And, and right there, if you ended right there, you might go, well, it's just the likeness. He's really God. Now watch. And when he had become, and when he had come as a man, fully physical, fully God, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, hang on. Now, why did God exalt him? Because he left heaven and humbled himself for the death on the cross. I want you to see, why did Jesus come as a baby born in Bethlehem? To die for your sins. Amen. Do you see that? Do you see it? 
So God highly exalts him, gives him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Yeshua, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And check this out, under the earth. What's it talking about? Hell even. Everybody's going to go, he's Lord, he's Lord. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, please say amen big and loud. This is huge. As I was studying this for preaching to you today, the thought struck me. This dream is going on for Joseph. You know, it's a picture. It's not scripture, but I picture this. It's like, you know, it's, it's like Gabriel grabbing him by the collar, Joseph, and go, you need to be the father. It's, it's not that way. I'm just saying. But that's how the dream really worked. It, it woke him up. And, and, and I thought, wait, wait, you know, Joseph is waiting for the Messiah to come. And then it struck me, Jesus was already there. He was a tiny baby in his mommy's tummy. Just a few probably doors down as he has this dream. The all-powerful God, come to save the world, had limited his power to the body of a baby. This is impossible to, to grasp, but try to go there with me. Let's say everything you know, all your skills, and let's say we take you out of your body and put you into the body of a zygote in a little bitty clump of cells in the uterus to know all you have, your consciousness, and to still be conscious. That's love. That's what Jesus has done to limit himself down to this baby. Let's finish chapter one today of Matthew. Look at verse 24. I love this. I love this. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. Whew, aren't you glad he did? Does this make you want to cry? I mean, it does me because no one believed Mary. No one. The dream must have been powerful because going through with that last part of the marriage ceremony, that marriage feast, it's supposed to be this big week-long celebration and now the groom has come and to be, it probably wasn't that. It was a big embarrassing time. He takes her to be his wife. Because the marriage ceremony, I want you to think about it, would have been a tacit admission of guilt on Joseph's part. That's going, yeah, <laughs> Mary's saying it was... You know, as the Holy Spirit, she's my wife. And just by marrying her, it would have been as if he was saying, it's my child. And it wasn't. And yet G Joseph took on the public shame. And according to Matthew, Joseph was a God-fearing man, a righteous man. To have to live with that stigma and know it was false was something that, that would have been unbearable. And yet it did he did it right after the dream. He went and did it. I find that amazing from this standpoint here. 
He says, I'm going to take on this shame. And you've got to know, even into Jesus' adult ministry, it was always the joke to say, yeah, Joseph is his father, either slamming Jesus' mother Mary or Joseph. I guess what I'm saying is this, this action and all of Joseph's other actions point to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And Joseph believed it. Look at verse 25. But did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he named him Jesus. A couple of things here. And let me say them delicately. I know there's some little ears here, but I want you to listen delicately here. First, the fact that Joseph did not have relations with Mary until after his birth means Joseph believed the message that he was the Christ. I want you to think about it. The angel did not say he could not have relations with his new bride. He didn't. The angel didn't tell him that. But Joseph, out of respect, did not have relations with her. Because if he didn't really believe, now listen close, if he did not really believe this was the Messiah, 25-year-old guy with his new 16-year-old bride, they're married. She's four months pregnant. It don't matter to a 25-year-old guy with his new bride. He's going to consummate that marriage, but he didn't. Why? Because was the son of God there was a holiness it was a holiness and the second thing is that Joseph named the son his son Jesus he believed uh, Joseph uh, he believed Joseph connected the promise of a savior revealed all throughout the Old Testament right to this child in her tummy. He had this awe of this baby bump. Make no mistake. Make no mistake. Although Jesus had not been born yet, at this point, God had come. And Joseph knew it. He placed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah while Jesus was still in utero. Do you? Do you think Jesus is the Son of God? Ladies, the big tough men in this room, <laughs> they will protect you. We will fight for you. We love you. But we are humbled by you too. We really are. You gave us all life. Isn't it odd to think every man in this room came from a woman, Right? You gave us all life. And one of the things we are in awe of you is your ability to carry and deliver that precious little child. We can't do it. And let me say, even if we could, we're not man enough. <laughs> I've had the privilege as a father to see my three children born. A holy event. I've been there with many of you as you pass that new baby off to me and say, oh, this is, and you tell me the little boy's name or little girl's name, and I get to cherish that. That's one of the best gifts as being the senior pastor is your children. 
That night in the stable, I can't imagine the gravity of the moment. I know that the baby is coming if I'm Joseph. I know that the baby is coming. I've seen babies probably born. I've helped probably animal babies be born. Mary had probably helped with babies be born. But here's the thing. Although we have some ways to speed up delivery and we can slow it down a little bit now, when it's time, it's time. And you really can't stop it. They were in the little village, and as they got there, there was no room in the inn. They searched around. They had family there, but the only thing that was available was the, the stable. Well, at least you can be alone. I think of this 25-year-old man and his teenage bride. The baby's coming, Joseph. It's coming tonight. Not, not, not tonight. No, no. The baby's here. I, you know, the baby's here. So they get in position. They get in position to have this baby. They are alone. There's no mom there of the, the mother. There's no grandmother. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. There's no one going, hey, get some hot water and towels. Well, I don't know why you need that, but right? They're alone. The baby's coming. This is the Son of God that I'm about to deliver right here. But brothers and sisters, they're not alone. All heaven is grasping the rail, looking over, watching this God-man be born. The Messiah has come. The advent, the coming of a notable person or an event. That's what advent means. Jesus is the Christ, the long-promised Messiah. He came the first advent. Next week, we're going to see Joseph make, make some hard decisions to lead God and Mary to a safe place. Let me leave you with this thought. We call this series Advent, living in between. Joseph and Mary, they were the first to understand this. They were living in between that this little baby had come to save the world because once you believe Jesus is the Christ, listen to me, you cannot live the same way anymore. And let me say it a little harsher. If you believe that Jesus came that night and it has no effect on you of how you live, I would question, are you a follower of Christ? Because what you see is Joseph, when he understands this is the Son of God, it changes everything. Mary, it changes everything. You see that every person that becomes a follower of Christ, it changes them at the very core level. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave us your son. You gave us Jesus. And that even before Mary understood you were there, Jesus. 
Holy Spirit, You were there. As you let that thing sink into your mind, that the God of the universe was there. What does that mean to you? For you Christians hearing my voice right now, are you living as if Jesus is real? Or are you playing like this is a nice story from a book of fables? And you say, no, Paul, I, I believe it's real. Do you? Do you really believe? Because if you really believe, you will follow. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, but something today spoke to you, listen to me, that's not me. And I know this sounds freaky. If you're not a Christian, but there's something happening to you right now, that is the Holy Spirit coming on you saying, follow, follow Jesus. Jesus is Lord. What's happening is the Spirit is waking you up, calling you that this is Jesus. Follow Him. Now, before you do, let me warn you, it's not an easy life. There are some that would say, oh, you become a Christian, you'll be a millionaire, you'll never get sick, you'll never die, everything will be hunky-dory. Don't listen to that. Because the truth is, real followers of Christ, life is difficult. But two things. Life is good and difficult. And two, your sins will be forgiven and the righteousness of Jesus will be put into your account. Meaning that when God looks at you, He will not see all the sins of your past, but only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? So the Bible says this, count the cost. To follow Jesus costs you. It's not anything you have to do. It's giving up your life and saying, I want to die to myself and live for Jesus. You tracking with me? If you want to be a Christian, this is how you become a Christian. You place your faith in Jesus for this life and the next. You say, I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I believe your death on the cross, the blood that you shed, have washed away my sin. Listen to me. You are a Christian if you believe that and proclaim that with your lips. You believe it at the core of you and you confess it with your mouth. You are a Christian. So here's, here's how you live life now. Turn from your sin. Listen, every Christian, we struggle, we continue to sin, we, we continue to do the wrong things, but Jesus' blood is enough. It covers your sins, past, present, even future sins. It covers that. Jesus is enough. So say this, thank you for saving me, Jesus. 
I turn from all my sin and I follow you. Thank you for saving me. Just pray that. And then end your prayer like this. Jesus, you can have all my tomorrows. Whatever you bring my way, I want to follow you. And end your prayer by saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.